besides the fact that they, they make it fun and create happy, cozy, fond memories around text. I mean, it's basically contagious. Welcome to the Find Your Voice podcast, a show where we believe in the power of the written word to create positive change in your personal life, your community, and the world. I'm your host, Allison Fallon. Whether you're an aspiring author or someone who swears they're not a real writer, we're here to show you how a regular practice of writing will help you access your intuition, make an impact, and find your voice. Join me for interviews with authors, writing prompts, and stories of how even simple words change lives. Do you have a sense that you have a story you want to write, but you aren't sure you want to publish it? Or maybe you're definitely sure you don't want to publish, but the idea of writing your personal story sounds like something you might like to try. Finally, finally, I have a resource for you. For over a decade, myself and my team at Find Your Voice have been supporting authors who have powerful stories that they want to publish in the format of a book. And over all those years, I've watched as the power of writing down a personal story brought clarity to these authors, brought healing to their lives, and ultimately helped them take back their lives from critics, from past mistakes, from a culture that wanted to define them or put them in a box. But until now, I didn't have a great resource for someone who wanted to write their story, not for publishing, but for taking back their power. So if that's you, this is exciting news. Right now, you can go to writeyourstory.com and for free, you can download a simple worksheet that's going to walk you through the beginning steps of outlining your personal story. All you have to do is complete the questions on the worksheet, watch the videos, and I'll teach you not only how to tell your story, but how to take back your life by telling your story. I'm going to teach you how to know what's really interesting about your personal story, how to know where the story starts and where it stops. And I'll even teach you a trick that the pros use to take their writing from good to great. Don't wait another day to write your story and take back your life. Head to writeyourstory.com right now and download your free worksheet. On today's episode of the Find Your Voice podcast, I have a conversation that I didn't expect to have, and also one that has become really important and special to me. Today's conversation is with none other than my mom, Sandy Fallon Spots. I'm talking to my mom because you've heard me talk about several times how these ideas that we have about what it means to be a writer are instilled in us from a young age and then how we carry these ideas with us through our life. And so many of these ideas stem from our time in the school system, whether that's the public education system or private or whether you're homeschooled, but these early kind of formative years that you have having experiences with both writing and reading. And I realized that I have an expert in my midst, (laughs) in my very own family. My mom has spent the last several decades teaching students, particularly students in K through six who are struggling and behind grade level in both writing and reading. And she's committed her life to that because my mom is an incredible person and because she also sees the impact that falling behind grade level in both writing and reading can have on every other area of a student's life and actually has says a lot to predict whether or not that student will graduate from high school. So she's dedicated her career for the last several decades to helping students catch up in both writing and reading. And I wanted to ask her, what 
makes one student drawn to writing and reading and one student really resistant to do it? What is it that makes a child excited about reading books, about writing a story? And how can we as parents, as mentors, as adults, as people around other children, how can we cultivate this sense of excitement about not only writing, but also reading? So today you get a very special treat. You're going to hear from my mother, the one and the only Sandy Fallon Spots. And I'm really excited for you to hear what she has to say. I know that especially those of you who are parents are going to gain a lot from this. But even if you're not a parent, listen in and hear how we can inspire a love for both writing and reading in our kids. Okay, so I'm here with the most exciting podcast guest I've ever had because this is my mother, everyone. I'm very happy to introduce you to Sandy Spots. But mom, would you introduce yourself aside from being my mom? Can you tell us your name and what you do? Yes. Well, I'm Sandy. Thank you, Allie, for introducing me. I love to teach reading to children. Currently, because I retired in June from my 25 years of teaching reading to elementary students, I'm currently full-time Nana. Well, actually, I'm not a full-time Nana, but I'm, I'm <laughs> a Nana. <laughs> well, you have six grandkids. Is that right? No, five. Yes. Six. Mm-hmm. Six, yeah. Six, including Nella, who was just born. So, yeah, I would say that's pretty full-time. Yes. I, I am available and happy to be able to pop in and out to being Nana. And so that's what I love. Okay. So, you know this because you're my mom, but we teach, talk a lot about writing at Find Your Voice, teach people how to become writers who don't already see themselves as writers. And one of the things I talk about all the time at our writing retreats and writing workshops is how our early experiences with writing really play a huge role in our ability to consider ourselves writers at an older age. Mm -hmm. And I know you'll tell a story. I'm going to ask you a story about me from in my childhood and a teacher who really had a huge impact on me becoming a writer. Mm -hmm. It's not writing that you teach, but it's reading, but there's so much crossover here. I'd really love for you to talk about your take on how those early experiences with, in your case, reading shape our ability to consider ourselves readers as we get older. Yes. The writing and reading are so interconnected and um, a lot of the concepts are true for both. And I think starting out, when you ask me that question, I think about the most important piece of the puzzle of literacy is what we give to our kids, either as parents or as educators. We get the joy of cultivating their love for reading and their passion for books or even for writing. And if we don't cultivate that, we've lost the most important thing. We must cultivate that at an early age for them even at Nella's age, but just starting in their first year of life and going up to school before they can read. If we spend a lot of time, you know, making reading time, read aloud time in the home important, that is going to shape their ability to learn later. So give us a few examples of what that would look like. How do I cultivate a love for reading? I'm going to have you talk about reading and then all related to writing, but how do I, how do I work with my kids to cultivate a love of reading in their life? Yeah, that's a really good question. Well, I mentioned priority. I see this in all my own adult children who are raising kids. It's just not something they're 
doing as that they need to accomplish, but they're doing it as a life experience that they enjoy. And it's just part of the daily routine. And that besides the fact that they, they make it fun and create happy, cozy, fond memories around text. I mean, it's basically contagious. It allows catch on to what, what we have for them. We're not, you know, saying, okay, now we have to do our 30 minutes of reading. We're allowing our own attitude about books and reading shape them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes tons of sense. So what if you have a kid, and I know you get a lot of kids that come to you, well, at least over the course of your career in education, you've had a lot of kids come to you who already have maybe not so negative views around reading formed, but but just like they have a distaste for reading, writing, literacy, because they haven't had those cozy experiences around those things. So if, if that's the case, like let's, I'm thinking of people who are listening to this, who are like 30 years old, who think to themselves, well, I don't really love writing because I had this teacher when I was in high school who marked up a paper of mine and made me feel really bad about my writing. She told me I wasn't very good at it. What are some things that we could do, whether it's for our kids or for ourselves that help us to cultivate cozier feelings about those things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had some of those negative feelings about writing from different experiences growing up. And it's, uh, you know, it's a complicated picture. So it, there's not just one thing. But I would say the one that comes to my mind is the piece of relationship and how much my relationship with the children matters. If they don't have a relationship with me, they they don't really listen to what I have to teach them. So yeah, sure. We base we base what we do on our relationship with them, and that whether you're a parent or an educator, there's just no substitute for that relationship. So, in my years of teaching reading, I would work with the children who were either behind in grade level or they were struggling in some way, and so we had to figure out ways to to catch them up in it, and ways of reaching them, and that relationship with them was key. And there's all kinds of different reasons as to why they're behind in grade level. And you mentioned, Ali, that some of them don't have that background, and that is that is part of it. But there's a lot of other reasons, too, and that's why I said it was complicated. But relationship can help everything. Actually, one thing I was thinking of is a story I know because I know you. Mm-hmm. You worked with a, a friend of ours has a son who was having trouble right. with reading in school, and she asked if you would would do some work with him. And I thought what you did with him was really brilliant. Can you just tell the story? Well, thank you. Yes. A wonderful guy. He was in third grade at the time and I I had seen him before, but I didn't really have a relationship with him. So I knew that was going to be key because his mom's bringing him over to my house. And, you know, if you're in third grade, that's not probably what you want to do in your summer. So, (laughs) (laughs) right. So I, I asked her, what does he like to read about? And I found some stories. And then I found out along the way, uh, pretty early, I think it was in the first meeting with him, that he loved ping pong. And we have a ping pong table, and it's one of my favorite activities in the world, too. And that he loved blueberries. So every time he would come, I'd just have a bowl of blueberries sitting there, and we'd take a break after each page, and he'd get to eat a few. And then at the... 20 minute mark, we'd get up and go play a game of ping pong. And he just, he just got so excited about it. And then we'd go read some more and go play ping pong again. 
And we, through that, we were able to develop a relationship and laugh together. And um, it would just made it a beautiful time together. And his mom even now says he's in, in eighth grade, I believe now. And she says he frequently talks about it and says, you should go, you should go to some help from Mrs. Spots. She plays blueberries. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, it's so funny. making a connection though, making your connection and finding a way to have that relationship that is a base for them trusting you and wanting to be there. Yes. One of the things that I tell people about writing all the time is that, and reading actually, I'll say people who tell me that they don't like to read. I'm like, you just haven't found a topic that you are interested enough in to motivate you to read because reading is just you know, a transmission of information. So when you find a topic you care enough about, people are motivated to read. And same would be true for writing. It's just, it's a matter of like finding a way to like set up your writing environment that feels really inviting for you and fun rather than what it felt like in school for some of us, where there's all the like stress and nervousness around turning this into a teacher and what kind of grade am I going to get on it and feeling like I'm bad at grammar and I'm going to forget all of the punctuation marks and creating an environment around the writing experience that actually feels very inviting and feels like maybe a catharsis to it is a great way to change our mindsets about whether or not we like writing. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. So that is where we talked about this earlier. That is where the people that the you, the parent or the educator come in. It's their response to you that helps you to develop either a good feeling or a negative feeling. And yeah, I've been around so many different educators in life that I I just have been, stand in awe of them mm-hmm. and they they do this they become the cheerleader like you know how we go out onto the field to support kids playing soccer and football and basketball and we've got our pom-poms and get all excited we need to do that with education too just do everything we can and um, these teachers that i've watched over the years have given me a good model for how to to applaud kids and mm-hmm. and give them that positive feedback that they need to become something whether it's hard for them or not. I was going to also say one more thing. One of my favorite memories of teaching a student is my own nephew, Kyle. He lives in Oklahoma, but he came to visit when he was, I believe he was just going into second grade. And he told me that he didn't like school and he didn't like reading. So hmm. I, I took this as my challenge. <laughs> and <laughs> I said, All right, well, are you sure? Because why don't we just go to the library together? Let's go see what we can find. Because what yeah. you said about finding the right topic in writing is enormous in reading. Now, granted, over time, we all have to read different kinds of things. So we don't always get to pick our favorite, right? Right. Yeah. High school, college, you know, we're required to read certain things. But at the beginning stages, kids often just don't know how to choose a book that they like, they don't, might not even know what they like. If they do, they just choose a book by its color or, you know, by yeah, <laughs> sure. said something. But if we can, uh, first of all, the first important part is our joining them. Like there's that relationship showing up again, but joining them and being with them on the floor in the library with Kyle for more than an hour and just saying to him, hey, look at this one. Um, and then read him a little page and say, you know, 
I read them from the back, first of all, and I teach them to look at the back of the book and say, if you want to know what this book is about, you can find a blurb on the back. And so yeah. then through that process, we found these a series of books called The Secrets, The Secret of Droon. They're fantasy, not my favorite, but I know a lot of kids who love them. So that was what he chose. And he fell in love with those books and read the series and then just continued reading after that. And today he just graduated from the University of Oklahoma with a degree in engineering. I love it. There are so many other kids whose lives you've had that similar impact on and you might not get to see it happen because they're not your nephew, but I know that there are hundreds of kids out there for whom you've had that kind of of impact. So I do want to talk for a minute about the education system because I think something you said a minute ago sticks with me and it encourages me actually to think that, you know, there you've been in the education education system for what has it been, 30 years that you've taught? Uh, 25, but I was volunteering for at least five before that at your school. And then I started working at your school and I began. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, like when we work with writers, I find a lot of times we bump up against people who have negative views around writing because of something a teacher said or did to them. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy for me to feel like there are all these flaws in the American education system. And I, I do believe there are a lot of flaws in the American education system. It's encouraging though, for me to hear that there are so many educators out there who are really doing an incredible job the way that you are to instill a love for reading and writing in students. Can you just talk a little bit about that, about, you know, do you think, where do you think our negative feelings about reading and writing come from? And is it the education system? And if so, what needs to change? That's, you know, there's, again, there's not just one answer, but part of it is making it fun. When I, when I say that, I think of, I get picture in my mind of so many teachers that I've seen who make reading fun and parents too. Like I said, my own adult children make this a fun time. And if we build in this idea that it's fun, yet I have to say reading is also hard work. And I just heard Levi, my oldest grandchild, say this morning as we were working out in the yard, he shouts, hard work done right feels good. (laughs) (laughs) I could. That's amazing. Yes, and at our elementary school, McKinney Elementary in Hillsborough, I love that place, and I miss all the pe- my people there. We had a mantra that we would repeat every morning, and the end of it was, success comes from hard work. Go Cougars. Just want to remind myself and everybody that definitely reading can be hard work, but it also can be made fun. And mm-hmm. the hard work part is harder for some kids than others. And therein lies a problem sometimes, is that you talked about reasons that they that it's hard for them. So if it becomes uh, like they're struggling with it and they don't feel successful, then they shy away from it. And they say, you know, I don't really want to do that. So then we have to find, we have to work extra hard as educators well, and as parents yeah. to reach them and to, to change what they're hearing in their head and and also really work hard. It can become a 911 situation which we talk about in the in the struggling readers reading category is that we have to figure out a way to catch them up because if they are not caught up by third or fourth grade, it gets more difficult. Yeah. And then what kind of impacts do you see for kids when when they're not up to reading and, and literacy levels that they need to be by third and fourth grade? 
do you see an impact for them when they get to middle school? I mean, I know you're not following them through their whole education career, but, but what kind of, yeah, just what kind of negative ramifications do you see? We believe that if they are not on grade level by fifth grade, that it, I don't want to say a percentage because I'm not sure the exact fact, but there's a large percentage of kids who are not on grade level by fifth grade who don't graduate. Yeah. And there's, I mean, this is, I'm, I'm doing like really bad uh, science here, <laughs> but there's also studies that show that a high percentage of students who don't graduate are incarcerated later in their life. And so I'm saying I'm doing bad science because I'm correlating a lot of things that nece- aren't necessarily correlated. But I do think we can make the general assumption that when we don't have a way to process, metabolize, internalize, make sense of the world that we live in, it's really hard for us to live in the world that we live in, especially when we live in such a complex world. So mm-hmm. reading and writing skills are absolutely key to this mm-hmm. when it starts at such and, an age. And the students don't necessarily, they don't reflect forward like we do. So we have to help them do that and talk about why it's so important besides just the fact that we love to read, just that, you know, we, we make that connection for them. If you learn to read, then you have these opportunities, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot here, but I'm curious if you, cause you know, I'm your daughter. <laughs> I do this for a living. Do you have a personal writing practice? No, I don't. Really. <laughs> <laughs> What keeps you from having a personal writing practice? So far, it's been time, you know, just uh, my life moves so fast. But now that I'm retired, I think Mm -hmm. it's mostly just that I haven't made it that priority yet. So, you know, we we get to choose. So I just need to get a routine going. I will say too, you did, you recorded like as we were babies. I've thought of this recently because I obviously have a, a three-month-old daughter, as you were pregnant with us and we were babies, you recorded your thoughts and like letters to us in journals um, and that you handed off to us when we were older. Um, So you have in your lifetime had a personal writing practice. Did you, is it something you enjoyed? I did. And I, I loved writing those journals to you. I made it a point not to, I was able to just jot down enough words to, to remember the, the thing you said or the thing you did or something that was cute or something that was sweet. And I didn't get perfectionistic about it, but I did write a whole book to each of you. It was, it was really fun for me because I wanted to remember those moments as much as I wanted you to hear about them later. I wanted to remember myself. So, yeah. Um, yeah. One other story I really want you to tell is, so you know that, you know, I've obviously become a writer myself and then I'm coaching other writers in the world. This was born obviously from uh, the love that you and dad instilled in me for reading and writing, but also I've had a handful of teachers over the years who have done a great job of, of boosting my confidence as a writer and a reader. And one story in particular about my fourth grade teacher, I tell all the time when I speak, but can you tell a story? I would love to. <laughs> First of all, I love West Union Elementary School, and um, that's where you guys all attended, and what a great education you had there. Your your educators were always so interested in you. The particular story I'm going to tell, though, is about your fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Gillespie. Well, she was your reading teacher in fourth grade. She took such an interest in you, and she noticed your gift of writing. So she, she told you, Allie, you're a writer. Keep writing. And... 
before summer that year, she gave you a journal. Hmm. Do you remember that? Journal? I do. I remember. I tell the story all the time. Yeah. Okay. So she gave you a journal and in it, she wrote those very, Ali, you're such, you are so gifted in writing. Hmm. Just keep writing. And, and I remember it was shortly after that, that you decided you wanted to be a writer when you grew up. You told me. Yeah. Um, and you said, or probably that was somewhere between fourth and fifth grade. When I grow up, I'm going to be a writer. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. You know what? The reason, one of the reasons I love that story so much is it reminds me that it just really doesn't take much, especially at those young ages when we're so impressionable. And I would include all of the high school years in that too. And even early twenties, you know, it, it doesn't take much mm-hmm. to encourage someone in their gift or skill. And it can make a huge difference in how they see themselves as a reader and as a writer. So that mm-hmm. I, I tell that story all the time because, um, you know, when I teach workshops, I ask people to write out the story of their earliest memory as it relates to writing. And a lot of times people will say like, oh, I don't have an earliest memory as it relates to writing. But then when they sit down to write about it, they actually do remember something. And okay. you'd be surprised what a strong correlation there is between the earliest memory that you have with writing and how you feel about writing as an adult. So if your earliest memory around writing is, oh, I used to write in a journal, but then my mom found it under my bed and she read it out loud to my friends, then you're never going to want to write again, (laughs) especially expressive and personal writing. You're never going to want to do that again. But if you have a story like I have with Mrs. Gillespie, then you know, you get to carry that internally through your, the rest of your life that you're a very good writer, keep on doing this. And it's kept me coming back to it over and over again. So you should get in touch with her and tell her. Alex. I know. I know. I think about that all the time when I'm like, I wonder if she'll ever, if some, if it'll ever get back to her somehow, <laughs> I don't have a way to get in contact with her. There's a quote that's always up on our wall at school. <laughs> and it's, um, it's just came to my mind this morning when we were, you and I were talking about how writing and reading are interconnected. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know that I'll get the numbers right, but you'll get the idea. Basically, it says we remember 10% of what we hear. Mm-hmm. We remember 20% of what we hear and see. And we remember 50% about what we hear and see and say. We remember 80% of what we hear, see, say, and write. So when we put all of our senses together, we're more apt to remember things that we learn. Yeah, that's so, so that's true. One reason that writing is so important. Just one. There's many, but that's one. It's so true. And mom, that makes me think about too how, you know, we you and I have talked about this before about how when you write something down, you remember it. And I feel like this feels particularly important for writing down pieces of our life story because not only not only does writing it down help us to remember it, but it, we also remember it the way we wrote it down, even if it's not the way it happened. <laughs> so like, you know, and I, I'm not suggesting that we write things down a diff- different from how they happened. I guess what I'm saying is like the way you frame it in your writing is the way you'll remember it. So if you remember, you know, like having this really terrifying experience, but you write it down in a way that makes you feel empowered around the scary experience, you'll remember feeling empowered. That's the, that is the memory that you will have connected. to. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I love that thought. Um, Is there anything else that you want to add that we haven't covered yet? Uh, Well, I could talk a little bit about phonemic awareness and its importance if you want me to. Yeah, let's do it. So what is phonemic awareness and how do we make sure kids have it? 
Very good question. Thank you. So phonemic awareness is like different than phonics. Phonics is, we, you know, we're all familiar with phonics. Phonics is what we see and how we look at a word and blend the sounds together to make the word. But phonemic awareness is aiming at what we hear. So it's the ability, it's a child's ability to understand that spoken words are made up of individual sounds called phonemes. There are a lot of different ways that we can do this, and we, we kind of naturally do it when we have young children because they can't read yet, but they can they can speak and they can understand. So phonemic awareness is about my coming up with ways to help them hear sounds and words, and one of the greatest ways we do that is through rhyming. Mm. You can make that a really fun activity by, um, this is what we do with kindergartners. um, We ask them to, we give them a a category. So let's just say we choose colors. Think about colors, everybody. What color, now I'm going to make up a word. So it's going to, we call it a nonsense word. What color rhymes with orange? (laughs) Okay. So then their their job is to say to you, orange. Okay. Yes. What word rhymes with purple? <laughs> and they go purple. And then they laugh. They just think it's so much fun. You can choose foods. What word rhymes? We're thinking about foods now, everybody. What word rhymes with tilk? It's something you drink and it's white. And they say milk. So you can go on and on with this. You can do it with people's names. Okay. You can do it with things on the playground. You can have a lot of fun with that. So rhyming. Another thing we do for phonemic awareness is to have, I'll say the sounds in a word and you tell me the word. And I do this with Rilo and Levi all the time. If I say the sounds, er, ag, what word is it? And they'll say, rag. Just things like that where you can make, again, making reading fun, making yeah. learning fun. They don't even know that you're, that you're teaching them right then, but we're, they're playing games and, um, just a lot of different ways to manipulate sounds. But the way I can know if a child has mnemic awareness is number one, um, rhyming. Okay. And being able to, before you start with the three sounds in a word, you would start with the, the beginning sound. So I'm going to give you a word and you can tell me what sound you hear at the beginning. If I give you the okay. word can, what do you hear at the beginning of that word? So that's where they begin to pick it up. And then you move on to the ending sound. And then you move on to tell me the sounds in the word, or I'll tell you the sounds and you tell me the word. As we do those activities, we're teaching them phonemic awareness, their ability to hear that words are made up with sounds or with phonemes. So it makes sense why nursery rhymes and children's books are written in rhymes. You got it. Exactly. That's, it's intentional. Like, and nursery rhymes, you're right. Those are, those are very important to a child's development. Amazing. Yeah, well, mom, thanks so much for doing this with me. This is the first time you and I have ever done a podcast interview together and hopefully not the last, but I'm so thankful for you being here and sharing your area of expertise with us. I know it's going to be really helpful for everyone who's listening. Well, thank you. I'll, I'll get back to you when I start that writing routine, Ali. Yes, please do. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is I feel like with the work I do, the people closest to me in my life I've had the hardest time convincing them to, really? to get in a routine of writing because Matt's been the same way. I mean, he's just very recently has picked up a routine of writing and it was after someone else suggested it, not me. Well, that's <laughs> well I definitely also yep. should admit that I have a lack of confidence in that area. 
and I, I love what you do and I love everything. And I, I love reading what you write, but I definitely have my own lack of confidence there. So that's probably another reason that I don't do it myself. Yeah, it's really common. And it's helpful for me to hear that because it, it means that a big piece of my job is helping people feel, giving people the confidence that Mrs. Gillespie gave yeah. to me in the fourth grade is a huge piece in helping people to, to pick up this you practice. You can be a so. cheerleader, you know, shaking your palm. Yes, that's such a great image, mom. Well, thanks for being the cheerleader for so many kids. I know, like I mentioned earlier, you you've just had a tremendous impact on, on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives. And you probably won't ever even get to see how different their, their journeys become because you've been a part of it. So thanks for all of your hard work. Oh, you're well, thank you, Allie. Thanks for listening to the find your voice podcast. We hope this inspires you to pick up a pen and start finding the words that will change your life, your community, and your world. If you liked what you heard today, share with a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, check out our website, findyourvoice.com. Subscribe to our Monday Motivation for free and get inspiring writing prompts in your inbox each week. Until next time, happy writing.